News, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Well, the Seventh Commandment, as we said before, in its strictest sense, is a prohibition against a married person having sexual relations with someone other than their spouse. But there is a third question that we must ask, and it's this. What positive virtues does this commandment encourage? Most of us know exactly what kinds of things cause us to be tempted. The difficulty is not in identifying problem areas in our lives. We can generally do that if we are honest with ourselves. Our greatest difficulty is that there is a part of us that likes the temptation and is not willing to cut it out completely. We offer many excuses to ourselves as to why we do not need to respond in such a radical way. But in the end, what we are really doing is holding on to the very thing we know is a source of trouble. The result is that we never experience the freedom from temptation which we need in order to break free from the bondage of lust. We want to thank you for joining us for another broadcast of Verse by Verse with Steve Kreloff. Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and he is currently leading us through a study of the Ten Commandments. In today's program, Pastor Steve discusses some of the practical ways the Bible says we can deal with temptation and lust in the battle for sexual purity. Here is Pastor Steve to tell us more. I do want you to understand that mental adultery has some horrible consequences. And so this balances out what we've just seen. Lustful thoughts are extremely dangerous and they carry significant consequences. And I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 4. I don't want you to think, well, it's only in my mind it's okay. Nobody will know about it. God knows about it. And it will affect you. In case you're thinking, well, I can have kind of a secret affair in my dreams. I'll never act them out. What harm is there? Ephesians 4.19 tells us the harm. Speaking in context, he is speaking about pagans, non-Christians. He is speaking about their thought life. He is speaking about their way of life. And, and Paul says this, And they, verse 19, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now notice that. In this verse, Paul describes that lust is never satisfied. Never. It has an endless cycle. Notice the last phrase of this verse. He says, with greediness. You know what that means? I think the um, NIV captures the thought with this translation. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. And now watch this last phrase. With a continual lust for more. I think that captures it. That's what lust does. Lust only breeds more lust. It doesn't stop with a little bit. Its appetite will never be quenched. Here's how one pastor explained the effects of lust. He wrote, even when you indulge in every kind of impurity, you're still fill, filled with, with a continual lust. You won't be able to fantasize enough to quench lust. You won't be able to sleep with enough people. You won't be able to view enough pornography. You, you can gorge yourself on lust, but you're always going to be hungry. You'll be trapped in a never-ending pursuit of wrong desires, always reaching for something that cannot be grasped. Folks, once you get on the road of lust, it never ends unless you absolutely get off. And we're going to go over how to get off in a few minutes. 
you cannot simply dabble with lust. It will suck you in. It has an insatiable appetite that won't go away. Lust has an appetite that won't quit. It won't stand for you to take just a little bit and say, well, I, uh, it's okay because it's just a little bit. It's not as bad as others. That's not the way lust works. Lust will pull you in and it will eventually become your king and your lord and your master. You cannot dabble a little bit in it. That's the nature of lust. And that's why Paul said just a few verses later in Ephesians 5.3, same, same context, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. In other words, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality in a believer's life. There shouldn't be any of that in you. It shouldn't even be named among you as something in, in your life. You see, it shouldn't exist at all. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that you can just fool around a little bit in your mind. You can't. You can't. There's nothing. Uh, lust is not like that at all. There's no little lust. Every bit of it is serious. And I warned you, I warn you, you will be trapped in a relentless cycle. Lust just snowballs and develops into more and more lust because lust, by its very nature, is never quenched. Never. It will become your master. So, in light of that, in light of, of lust and quenchable appetite, how do we get lustful, adulterous thoughts and actions under control? What does the Bible have to say about that? Well, that leads us really to our third question this morning. The first one, what action does this commandment forbid? Forbids the physical act of having sexual relations with someone other than your spouse. The second question, what attitude does this commandment forbid? It forbids the attitude of having sexual relations with someone in your mind who is not your spouse. But there is a third question that we must ask, and it's this. What positive virtue does this commandment encourage? As I said before, though this commandment is presented in a negative way, a prohibition implied in this commandment is a positive statement. You know what the positive statement is? Have a healthy and a faithful relationship with your spouse. God is is not only concerned that we keep away from adultery. God is concerned that we have a healthy marriage. A healthy marriage, a faithful relationship with our spouse. And for those of you who are single, it means being sexually moral and pure. That's what it means. Not having relations with anyone unless you're married to them. So what practical and specific steps can we take to maintain faithfulness? Or if you're caught in the cycle of lust, how do you get out? How do you get out? Let me offer some biblical solutions to this problem. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 5 again. Because we stopped here, but Jesus didn't stop. Jesus went on to talk about what to do in terms of our struggles with with lust. Matthew chapter 5 verse 29. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off. And throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. This was Christ's solution to the problem of lust. He said, pluck out your right eye, that is, gorge it out, and cut off your right hand. Now, the question is, did Jesus mean for us to take this literally? I hope you understand that it's not to be taken literally. Although I will say, in church history, some took this literally. The most... uh, Infamous case was Origen, 
uh, an ancient theologian, Origen, had himself castrated in an attempt to overcome his sexual desires. And, and, and there were others, too, to the point where there was a council who had to make an edict saying nobody else is to do this. So apparently there are a lot of people who looked at this and took it literally. The, it struck me, interestingly enough, this, uh, this week that the oddity concerning Origen doing this. Origen, if you know anything about church history and interpretation, you know that Origen is the father of allegory. He allegorized the scripture. And yet, when he came to this verse, there was a wooden literalism that he didn't allegorize. I, I find that very odd. Think about that later. That's, that's just how my mind works. I thought, that's, that's strange. But the point is that Jesus was not referring to self-mutilation. That's not, that, that's not his point at all. We know that that can't be the case because, first of all, it would contradict other scriptures which, which speak of the sanctity of the human body. God doesn't want us to go around and, and uh, do damage to our bodies. So it can't be teaching that. Scripture doesn't contradict scripture. Secondly, it doesn't even make sense. If you did this literally, if you plucked out an eye or cut off a hand, that wouldn't take care of your lust problem. You'd just be a one-eyed, one-handed, lustful person. That's all. So he can't be talking about that. No, no. What Jesus was, was saying, he was using hyperbole. Hyperbole means an obvious exaggeration to make a point. You, you make an exaggeration so that it stands out in people's minds. You, you say something that's, that's so uh, overblown that they would get the point. It's a point of communication. And the point that Christ was making is that the way to deal with lust is by radical surgery. Radical surgery. In other words, cut out anything in your life that triggers lust. Anything that gives you a problem, cut it out. Cut it out. Could mean any number of things. It could mean removing television from your home. That's what it could mean. If you can't handle television, and cut it out. Or make sure that you only watch it with your spouse. It could mean canceling certain magazine subscriptions. It could mean making sure you never go online while you are alone in your home. Or even more radical, it could mean that you get rid of your computer or certainly get off the internet. You say, but I, I, I have to have that. Listen, people existed fine without computers for thousands of years. You'll be fine. You say, well, that'll hurt me a lot. Yes, it will. But implied in what Christ was talking about, when you cut off your hand and gouge out your eye, implied in that is it will hurt. It's intended to hurt. You take drastic measures. If you can't handle the internet, then get rid of it. That's the spirit of this, of this verse. It could mean any number of things that might, you might need to sever in your life in order to get lust under control. It may mean cutting out a, an individual, so a, a, a relationship you have at work perhaps. It may mean that you have to get another job could mean any number of things. It could mean uh, coming home from work a different route that takes longer distance because you can't uh, handle looking at a certain billboard. Whatever, whatever it is, cut it out of your life. Listen, no matter how radical, no matter how drastic it is, you must remove anything in your life that causes you to stumble with lust. And it, it may very well mean, too, that when you go on business trips, that you can't look at the television in a motel room or a hotel room. That you have to have an accountability with somebody who you call when you get there. Who you tell them what your actions are. It could mean that you have a plan that when you get into a room, you're going to cover that television. 
You're going to bring a, a good book to read. You're, you're going to memorize scripture. You're not going to stay in your room very long. You're going to do something else. What, whatever it takes. And I want, to just, I want to just explain something. Why did Jesus talk in verses 29 and, and 30, it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. I think the point here is that true believers, if you're really a believer, you will take any, any measure no matter how drastic it is to cut it out of your life. Those who hear this and don't take measures, don't cut things out of their lives, probably indicate that they are not true believers and they are on their way to hell. If, if you've got a problem with lust and the scripture says, cut out anything in your life, drastic as it might be to help you with that, and you defy that, it probably indicates that you don't really know Christ. True believers receive this and go, I'll do it. As hard as it will be, I'll do it. As painful as it'll be, I'll do it. I think that's what our Lord was talking about. I think that's what he's saying. Remember, no measure is too drastic. Cut out anything from your life that triggers lust and just fling it away. Fling it away. That's the way you deal with lust. Remember, you cannot dabble with it. You cannot handle it a little bit. It will grab hold of you and eventually it will dominate you. Now, in addition to radical surgery, the book of Proverbs offers more inspired wisdom on cultivating sexual purity and avoiding adultery. So let's go back. Remember I told you Proverbs 5. Let's go back and look at this again. And I want you to know the Bible's very honest, as we said. The Bible's not prudish about this. In fact, folks, there's a whole book in the Bible uh, devoted to the enjoyment of, of sexual relations within marriage. It's called the Song of Solomon. And it's interesting to me to note that the older commentaries couldn't bring themselves to say there is a book in the Bible about sex. They said, if you read the older commentaries, they'll say it's about God's love for Israel, about Christ's love for the church. It's not about that at all. It's about a man and a woman. And it talks about, about sex. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. After warning his son about the dangers and the consequences of adultery, Solomon tells him now, how to prevent it. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountains be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her Love. You know how you prevent adultery? Be satisfied with your spouse. That's what Solomon is teaching. Using a metaphor of a cistern, which was an underground chamber for collecting rainwater. It was very dry in Israel, and so they'd have these underground chambers for refreshment and, and collecting water. Solomon is urging his son to be sexually satisfied and refreshed with his wife. That is precisely what he's saying so that he won't be tempted with another man's wife. Be satisfied, son, with, with your wife so that you're not interested in anybody else's wife. And in case you're wondering, you see fountains and streams, what does that mean? It means exactly what you think it means. That's what it means. And if you don't know, ask Jack afterwards. He'll be happy to, <laughs> to tell you. Listen, the best way to protect yourself against adultery is to have a healthy marriage in which you and your spouse satisfy each other sexually. The Apostle Paul 
said the very same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I go over this when I do premarital counseling. I want couples to understand this. This is very important. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He opens the chapter by saying, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Apparently the Corinthians wrote to Paul. They asked him questions about singleness. Uh, should we have relations? What, what, what should we do? And Paul answers, says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Apparently what the Corinthians were doing, some of these married men were having relations with the temple as I said, temple prostitutes, but not having relations uh, with their spouse, or they were having relations with the temple prostitutes and saying, but we're going to stay single. We're going to stay single. And Paul is saying, you know what? Because of of the tendency that we all have to be immoral, because you can't handle this, get married. Get married. There's no virtue in staying single, but yet you're burning with lust all the time. And so Paul says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. I remember the first time I preached on this, a woman came up to me and said, Steve, are you saying that's the only reason to get married is sex? And whenever someone says, are you saying, I I like to say, did I say that? You know, did I actually say, I didn't say that, but I will say that's one of the reasons that Paul says get married. It's not the only reason, but that's one of the reasons. You look at it, but because of immoralities, Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. God has created people to be sexual, to have sexual drives and desires, and that in and of itself is not wrong. And he's created marriage in order to satisfy that. But notice what else he says, verse 3. The husband must fulfill his duty to the wife. He's talking about sexual responsibility. It is a husband's responsibility to satisfy his wife, and not only a wife's responsibility to satisfy her husband. He has that responsibility. And that's why Paul goes on to say, likewise also uh, the wife to her husband. So in marriage, they are both to satisfy each other. That's what elevates sexual relations for Christians beyond what Hollywood says. Hollywood says you get. The Bible says you give. Verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That means when you get married, married you can't say no. I refuse to give you relations. No, I'm not. Paul says when you get married, you've lost that right. Your body, in this sense, belongs to your spouse. And that's why he says in verse 5, stop depriving one another. It's the same thing, essentially, that Solomon is saying back in Proverbs chapter 5. He's saying the deterrence against immorality, adultery, is be satisfied with your spouse. So, ladies and gentlemen, the question is, are you satisfied with your spouse? Do you delight in each other's love? And do you work on making yourself delightful to your spouse so that there's no unnecessary temptation to adultery? That's that's what the proverb is speaking about. That's what the Bible speaks about. Someone compared this delight and satisfaction to eating a favorite meal until you're absolutely stuffed full. Then a luscious dessert is brought before you, but you know what? You're not even interested. You're not tempted because you're satisfied. Marriage, your marriage should be like that. You should be so satisfied with your spouse that when, when someone else is before you, you're not even tempted. You're not even interested. Well, this is what God's word has to say. So what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? Well, understand, first of all, that every one of us here this morning is guilty of breaking the seventh commandment, whether by 
an adulterous act or a lustful thought or a covetous desire. All of us stand before God guilty. And we all deserve hell for our rebellion to him. But I want you to know there is mercy. There is grace with Jesus Christ. Remember the story in John chapter 8. There was a woman caught in adultery, caught in the act of adultery, brought to Jesus by these Jewish men who were trying to trap Jesus. And remember what he said? He said, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And nobody threw that stone because they were all guilty, just like us. And they walked away. The Bible says one by one they left. And Jesus was standing there alone with this woman. Remember what he said to her? He said, I do not condemn you either. Go from now on, sin no more. How could Jesus say that to her? She, she was guilty. She had been caught in the very act of it because the Lord knew that she was repentant and that he would forgive her based on the fact that shortly he would, would bear the full penalty of her sin on the cross. Though he was holy and undefiled by sin, he would bear the legal guilt of that woman's adultery and pay it to the uttermost. And folks, that's what he's done for the sinner. He's paid the full penalty, the legal guilt of your adultery and my adultery. That's the grace of God. And he invites you to come to him for, for forgiveness. There's only forgiveness through Christ. And if you have been involved in this, in this sin, in this physical act of this sin, then what Christ said is so true to you. Go and sin no more. Stop it right now. And if you're caught in the cycle of lust on the internet, magazines, videos, any of that stuff, romance novels, soap operas, then go and sin no more. Put into practice what Scripture says, what we discovered this morning. Cut out anything that triggers lust in your life and be satisfied with your spouse. I urge you and invite you, if you do not know Jesus Christ and you want to know him, feel free to come up the close of the service, there'll be one of our elders at the frontier. Be happy to talk to you about Christ. If you do know him, then obey. Obey God's word. If it hurts and it cuts, understand that the Lord, the Lord does that to produce holiness in our lives. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you are so concerned about us in this very significant area of life that your word tells us how to deal with it. I pray for anyone caught in this cycle, Lord, that they will have victory, that they will take these things to heart and obey. I pray for those, Lord, who may not know you, but uh, be very convicted of their guilt, that through this, through the knowledge of their sin, they might see the Savior died on the cross to pay the sinner's full guilt. May you use your word to draw them to yourself, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the great joys of knowing and serving our wonderful God is the fact that He is ready to forgive all those who come to Him in repentance and faith. There is no sin that is too gross for God to pardon, not even the very serious sin of adultery. If you or someone you know have already stumbled in this area, you can still experience God's forgiveness and cleansing through Jesus Christ. We invite you to call us right now so we can tell you more about how you can experience the full forgiveness of God and how you can have victory over lust in your life. The phone number is 727-239-0306. 
Pastor Steve just showed us some tips from the Bible that will help us to deal with lustful sexual thoughts. But did you know that these basic principles can also help us with all kinds of lusts and temptations in our lives? The two key steps to dealing with temptation are these. One, delight yourself in things that your loving God has given you. And two, purge your life of things that constantly tempt you to want things that He has not given you. These basic steps can help you be victorious over all kinds of temptations, whether they are for more possessions, more recognition and status among your peers, or for the temporary pleasures of sin. In our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will take a look at the issue of stealing. We hope that you will join us then as we continue our study of the Ten Commandments here on Verse by Verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. There's a lot going on right now. 